Uh, we're, this week we're looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, um, and then I've titled it Against Leadership. Um, because what we're seeing in Nehemiah 6 is uh, Nehemiah now um, being kind of attacked. Um, and I don't know if you've heard uh, recently in news, um, like in America, uh, there's been a, a famous megachurch pastor who's recently um, fallen um, to moral failure. And, you know, as I've been thinking about that, it's, it's kind of reminded me of uh, the importance of leadership, uh, what's at stake uh, when leaders fall, and why it's so important, especially for leaders to stand strong, right, in the midst of temptation and opposition. And that's kind of what we see here in Nehemiah 6, right, that Nehemiah is being attacked uh, by the enemies, right? Chapter 4, it was the people, but now in chapter 6, it's Nehemiah himself. And the reason why uh, the enemies target Nehemiah is, is kind of obvious, right, when you think about it, because uh, leaders are very important. Right. And leaders are kind of like uh, the, the key people that if you can make them uh, be distracted, to doubt, uh, to sin, uh, then the implications kind of uh, flow out from there. And so that is what we're seeing here today. Um, so, you know, last week and this week, uh, one of the key ideas I want to leave with you is that God's people uh, can always expect opposition when they're living out God's purposes. Right. God's people can always expect opposition well, when we're living out God's purposes. We saw that last week when the people are being attacked as they're being, building the wall, right? They're verbally assaulted, physically assaulted, and then there's like this internal battle within them. And again, today, right, the leader is being attacked. Um, if you read uh, chapter 6, verse 1, uh, Nehemiah says uh, that we had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. And so the wall is basically finished, right? All of the wall is finished. They just need to put the finishing touches of the doors and the gates. Uh, without them, obviously, people can just run in, even if the wall is up. Um, but once they put up the doors, uh, then it's completely sealed off. And this is where the moment where the enemy kind of really gets desperate, right? And they're targeting Nehemiah, the leader. And they target Nehemiah in three different ways. And these are the three points uh, for us today. The first way the enemy attacks Nehemiah is subterfuge, right? I know that's like a, a, a long, confusing word. That just means deceit, right? And it's subterfuge because it's alliteration, right? We're going we're to stick with the letter S, subterfuge. Uh, verse 2, um, it says, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Right, if you remember last week, again, uh, these people, especially Sambalat, were verbally assaulting the people of God, right? And then physically assaulting them, right? It's, they're saying verbally, you're weak, you're incapable, God can't help you. You build the wall, he's going to fall when a fox walks over it. And then they're threatening that they're going to kill them. Right, but now in chapter six, it's like they do a 180 degree turn and they extend an olive branch and they say, you know, come, you know, let us meet together. And the place they want to meet is this, in this place in the plain of honor. And, and most commentators would say it's, it's the place in the border of Judah, right, where Nehemiah is, and Samaria, which is where Sambalat is. And it's quite far, actually, for Nehemiah. It's 44 kilometers northwest. Right? So, on, again, on horse, uh, th that's a long way away. And maybe that's why Nehemiah is a bit suspicious. Right? Why are they calling me out kind of into the middle of nowhere if they really wanted to apologize, don't you think Sambalat would come all the way to Nehemiah and say, oh, you know, I tried to murder you. Uh, sorry about that. You know, let's make peace. 
right? So it is a bit sus. And so Nehemiah correctly perceives is what he says, they intended to do me harm, right? So all of this is like, it, it's a trick, it's deceit, it's subterfuge, right? They're, they're saying, come let us meet, but they're gonna, you know, maybe jump on him, imprison him, hurt him, force him to, you know, quit uh, building the wall, or maybe most likely murder him, right? And tell the Persian king, oh, there was an accident, we don't know what happened, an animal came, etc., right? And they're gonna get rid of him, right? This is the kind of deceit uh, that the people uh, are trying to um, pull on Nehemiah. Right? It's, it's kind of uh, crazy when you think about it. Right? They're going to go through all of this trouble to bring down Nehemiah. Um, and yet, this is the way uh, it is for the Christian. Right? The devil is at work even now trying to bring us down, trying to do whatever he can using lies or deceit or trickery to bring Christians, especially Christian leaders, down to fail. Right, so Nehemiah's response here in verse 3 is this. I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Right, Nehemiah, he, he obviously sees that it's a trick, but he's saying, I'm focused. Right, I'm focused on the task. Obviously, if I go to you, you're going to kill me, but it's also a distraction. I'm going to focus and finish the work. Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Right? So they're kind of over and over again asking Nehemiah. And over again, Nehemiah gives them the same answer. Um, you know, often when people kind of keep asking us for the same thing, eventually we relent and we say, okay, we'll do it. Uh, but when it's for a God-honoring conviction, uh, we should never relent. Right? And that's what Nehemiah does. He sticks to his guns. This is for God. We're going to finish the wall. Right? And he gives them the same response four times. And again, this, this whole scenario seems a bit outrageous. You'd see this kind of stuff happening in movies. Come, let's meet at this place. I'm going to murder you. Um, but it happens in Nehemiah. And the deceit, this kind of deceit is really happening to us all the time, right? In maybe uh, visible or you know, subtle ways. Uh, when Jesus talks about the devil, he says that, uh, you know, he speaks out of his own character when he lies, Right, for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. It's, it's like embedded in Satan to always be lying. Revelation 12 says he's the deceiver of the whole world. Right? 2 Corinthians 11, I won't put the verse there. It says he disguises himself as an angel of light. Right? That's the devil. He pretends he's a friend. And that's kind of what Sambalat is doing. He's pretending he's a friend. I'm your friend. Come, let's meet together. But really, he's the enemy. And even in the garden, 2 Corinthians 11 says it was the serpent's deception, right? His subterfuge, right? If it's a synonymous word. Um, he, he deceived Adam and Eve with his cunning, right? And, and the implication in 2 Corinthians is that this is what's happening today with the church. Right? Paul's saying, I'm afraid that we, the church, will also fall into a similar kind of um, trap where the devil will deceive us. And the way the devil deceives us, similarly to this chapter is that he makes um, sin or, or something that's bad for us appear pleasant, right? He extends an olive branch, but it's not an olive branch. It's really poison, right? And that's what he does to sin. He makes it look enticing. He makes it look attractive. Kind of, why, why don't you come over here? This is going to be good for you when really it's going to be really bad for you, right? None of us, we, none of us give into sin because it looks disgusting. None of us give into sin because it looks unattractive. Well, we give it to sin because the devil makes it appear friendly, pleasant. It's not that big of a deal. 
right? Did God really save? Right? You're not going to die. Right? That's what he tells Adam and Eve. Right? He deceives us and he tricks us. And so it's important for us, um, like Nehemiah, uh, to have um, you know, clarity, right? wisdom from God. And especially for us, now that we have the scriptures, to be able to discern what is right and wrong, discern what is true and false, right? and use the scriptures as the lens by which we can see right, what's happening in this world. But that's the first way that the devil attacks, uh, so that the enemy attacks uh, Nehemiah. And that's the way that the world and the devil might attack leaders today. Right, and the second approach is that he, they use, use slander. When the subtle deception to draw out Nehemiah, the subterfuge, it doesn't work, um, they kind of up the ante and they, uh, they, they slander him. And there's various methods used by Sambalat and company uh, to discourage and you know, detract Nehemiah from completing the work. Um, and I'll just go through them. Uh, the first thing is slander. And this is kind of the, the end goal of what they're trying to do. Slander is when you defame someone, right? You damage their reputation by saying something that's not true, right? You damage their reputation by saying something that's not true. And again, this is what they're trying to, to make happen. If you read verse five, it says, in the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant, but now it's a bit different. He sends him with an open letter in his hand. Why is he sending with an open letter? Right, normally, you'd seal the letter, right, you'd stamp it so that only the recipient is able to open it right, and, and you know, read the contents. But he, he sends an open letter because he wants it to leak out. He wants it to be made public. Right? He, he wants what he's writing here to kind of spread. And, and the goal isn't that he's writing this for Nehemiah to read. He's really writing this and saying this so that you know, everyone else can hear it. Right? I don't know if you, if you uh, follow Apple um, but I do. But recently, uh, the Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite, you know, had this big hurrah, and they're like, "We hate Apple. They charge too much money, etc." Mm-hmm. And they kind of posted this thing um, on, on the website to Apple, and it kind of happens all the time, where it's like an open letter, you know, Apple, you know, this is what we want to say to you, but it's really not to Apple; it's to the rest of the world, right? Rest of the world, Apple sucks, right? And, and it's kind of the same way. This is what Nehemiah's, uh, this is what Sambalat's doing. Everyone else, right? Nehemiah has a it's a bad person. Let's bring down his reputation. Don't follow this guy. You know, all of that stuff, right? It's slander. The second thing we see here uh, is gossip. He says, in it was written, uh, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, right? And uh, it, it's like this, this idea that, you know, people are saying this and people are saying that, right? It's reported here. People say this. But how many times has similar phrases as this uh, spoken in the church cause damage to God's people. You know, it's reported that so-and-so, right? so-and-so said this about this and this. Right? It's like this power of gossip, which they're saying is happening and they want it to really spread further. Uh, you and I, we know the power of gossip, right? that it's a vessel to damage people's reputation. James calls tongue the tongue of fire, I said last week, um, and gossip spreads like that, like a fire. It just like seems to, you know, <laughs> It just seems to be everywhere. Like um, everyone knows everything, right? Especially maybe from the churches that we come from. Um, maybe, I don't know if it's a Korean thing, but Koreans love to gossip. And although we can't stop others from gossiping, uh, we, right, I, you can do something to stop it spreading further. Uh, Sambalat would have loved the people of God to take what is written here and to spread it further. Right? And the people of God can't help that Sambalat is, is saying these kinds of things, but what they can do is not 
right? Engage in it, right? And to allow it to spread any further. Now, when someone shares something juicy, some private information about someone else, right? Do you stop the conversation? Or do you like pry out all the details? And then you can't wait to then tell someone else so that you're the person who knows, right? News, right? What's happening, right? Do you enjoy sharing those kinds of stuff, right? All of that is, is really gossip. And what we're doing is we're bringing down the reputation of people. It's not, it's not loving, right? It's not caring. It's really selfish. Right? It's because we enjoy right, knowing right, and being the people that know stuff. If Sambala really cared about the situation, if he really cared about Nehemiah and you know, all of the gossip going around, he would go directly and privately to Nehemiah. He would sit down with Nehemiah. He would make the trip all the way to him, sit him down and say, look, people are saying this. Right? He wouldn't let it leak out further. Right? And the same with us. If we really care about the person that we've heard the things about, we won't then talk to someone else about it. We will talk to them. Right? I think that's loving. Right? So we see gossip here. We see lies. Again, slander is when lies are spread around and they bring down the reputation of someone. And they say a bunch of lies here, right? There's at least three in verse six. It's reported and Geshem says that you and the Jews intend to rebel, right? That's why you're rebuilding the wall. That's your motive. Your motive is to rebel against the Persian king. And then he goes on. And according to these reports, you wish to become the king, right? You want to become the king. That's, that's your motive, Nehemiah. You want to make yourself great. Verse 7, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. Right? You've set up these prophets to say these false things, which is ironic because we'll see in a second, false things that you are the king in Judah. Right? All of this stuff is lies. But I said last week, it doesn't matter uh, if it's a lie. Right? That's the power of words. When lies spread, it still damages right, the people. And so they're spreading these lies and hopefully it'll go out and people would doubt the leadership of Nehemiah. Number four and last, blackmail. And so they say at the end of verse seven, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. It's like, let, let me help you, right? The king's going to hear, you know, the Persian king, right? If you know Ezra chapter four, this whole scenario is exactly what happened in Ezra four. Right, the Persian king received a letter right, talking about how the Israelites were building a wall and they're going to rebel and they're not going to pay the offering. And so the Persian king stopped the building of the wall. Right, so you can just imagine that as, as Nehemiah hears this, as the people hear everything written in this letter, they're thinking it's going to happen again. Right, what happened with the Persian king? He's going to stop the building of the wall. And right, this is really blackmail. They're saying, you know, that's going to happen. So let's come. When you come, meet, meet us here right, so we can, we can murder you. Right, the culmination of all of this stuff, the lies, the open letter, the gossip, right, the threat of the Persian king hearing it, it, it would damage Nehemiah's reputation. Right? It would damage it in the eyes of his people, and it will ultimately delay or halt the completion of the wall. And that's, that's the hope. In verse 8, we see Nehemiah's response. And again, it's kind of really typical of Nehemiah. He, he's always doing the same things. He doesn't stoop to their level. He doesn't respond with his own slanderous, gossip, life-filled, blackmailing, open letter. Right? He doesn't play their game. And he doesn't even really defend himself. I'd say, no, 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 no. You know, let, let me explain why, why I'm a good person. He just replies in a matter-of-fact way. I sent to them, them, him, saying, 
No such thing, as you say, have, have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. But right? he, he just trusts in his own kind of righteousness, I guess, that, that he hasn't done these things. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done, right? The wall will not be completed. And then he prays, right? A typical Nehemiah. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands, right? And then he just continues the work. Nehemiah trusts in God. He knows that God is his defender. God will vindicate him. God will make things right in the end. He trusts that God knows what is true. Or regardless of the lies that are being told, or regardless of what the gossip is being said, God knows what is true. And at the end, it's his evaluation of me that matters. Right? It doesn't matter what everyone else says. It matters what God says about me. Right? He knows that God is his strength. So strengthen my hand. Because this is very discouraging to hear these things. Strengthen my hand that I might finish the work and that I might glorify your name. Right? That's what he is saying. I said last week, when I left New Life, the hardest part was, was people. And not that it was malicious or evil, uh, like in this story, um, but like the hardest part was that some people who you know, were kind of close to me would question my motivation for, for the way I was leaving and I was, the way I was planting or the reasons why. You know, saying that you know, maybe it's not the most loving uh, maybe it's, it's not God, God glorifying. And, and that, that was the hardest part. And so, you know, what Nehemiah is going through, like when I put myself into that position, it, it's really difficult. Now, I remember I was having just a conversation with Paul and Gina and like I, I just burst out into tears and it was kind of really awkward. And I'm sure they felt super awkward. Um, and it was just so emotionally draining that, that um, people would question, um, you know, the motive. You're kind of what Nehemiah, you're doing this so that you could be king. Uh, when really, like every decision was thought through so that we would do it in a way that was for God. And you can just ask Peter and Daniel, we'd like, we'd think so hard about, you know, what's the best way to do it. And a part of me in that moment really felt like, you know, is this really worth it? Right? It's not worth all this trouble. Right? It's not worth this pain to, to let your hands drop from the work. Right? Why am I personally being attacked when I'm trying to do a good thing for God? And right? I imagine this is the, the hope of the people as they attack Nehemiah, that he'd just give up, that he'd just feel alone, that he would feel attacked from the outside or maybe by his own people, right? that the wall would not be completed. But he trusts God. God will defend me. God knows. Right? And he pushes through. Right? And that's kind of what we need to do whenever people come and slander us. Right? Trust that God knows. He's our defender, right? And we do what is right in his sight. The third, and the last way that they attack him um, is through self-centeredness, right? Drawing on that sinful nature within us that wants to put ourselves first. The last form of attack comes from an ally, right? Quote, unquote, ally, a fellow Israelite. In fact, it's a, it's a prophet, and in verse 10, it says, Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of um, Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. And so we don't know why Nehemiah goes to Shemaiah's home. Maybe he was hurt or ill. Maybe he couldn't move at that point. Um, but he's drawn into his home to have this conversation. And, and that, that kind of seems sus, right? If they met into an open place, 
right? We just bumped into each other. No, no, but it seems like Nehemiah might be, you know, maybe planning something in the private of this guy's home. And he's kind of trying to, you know, really set him up in this way. And Shemaiah says to him, you know, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, right? Why? For they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Shemaiah prophesies, he's a prophet, that the enemy is going to kill you tonight, maybe. And so let's go to the temple and let's hide there. And that doesn't seem like such a bad suggestion at first glance. Uh, but Nehemiah's response cl- uh, clarifies why this is, uh, is um, kind of evil and, and, and it's, it's not um, benefiting Nehemiah. Two reasons. He's trying to tempt him to put himself before the people. He's tempting Nehemiah to put Nehemiah you know, before his own people, right? Nehemiah's response, the first half, it says, should such a man as I run away? Right? Nehemiah knows his position as a leader, right? His position as a leader is to kind of be with his people and suffer with his people. And if, 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 if um, you know, they're going to come attack, he, should he as a leader cower in fear and run away? But should he, you know, despite you know, all of the attack that the people were threatened with in chapter you know, four, should he go hide in the temple? No, no, that's, that's not the kind of leader he is. Right? Leaders putting themselves before their people may be common practice in the world, but it's not the common way for the believer. Right? Jesus says this. He says that's the way of the Gentiles. They, they lord it over their people. Right? They exercise authority. But, you know, the way of the Christian is to serve. Right? Not to be above, not to be better, uh, but to serve right, the other. Right? To put yourself under them, right? as Jesus did as a self- selfless servant king. Peter says similarly, when he talks about elders, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercise oversight, right? but not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. So we shepherd, we have oversight, but not not for ourselves, not because we're putting ourselves before the people. They're not serving my gain, right? We serve other people, right? That's the way of of Christ, right? And Nehemiah knows that this is the way of God, right? I I don't put my needs, my comfort, my security, right, over the people. And secondly, it's a temptation to put himself before God. Nehemiah's second response is, and what man, such as I, could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Nehemiah knows that God's kind of rules and desire is that only priests can go into the holy place. And maybe he knows the story of King Uzziah, who in his pride went to the temple and God struck him with leprosy. And so in a way, it's a battle between you know, this is what God wants, and God doesn't want you know, anyone but the priest to go into the temple. But what I want is to be safe and comfortable and secure. And so will I put myself before God, or will I put God before me? Right? This is really the battle. Right? Will he be selfish? Right? I'm falling to this temptation. And despite these two temptations to put himself before God and the people, Nehemiah responds in verse 12 to 13. And I won't read it, but he realizes this is a false prophet hired by Sambalat to make him afraid, to make him sin, to give him a bad name. Because obviously he understands he's trying to make Nehemiah put himself first. And of course, Nehemiah prays, right? Verse 14, of course he prays. He always prays. And he commits the justice into the hands of God. Remember these people, 
right, who are trying to attack me, right? right? Justice is in your hands. Right? I'm not, I'm not going to go back to seek revenge. That's, that's your job, God, right? And then he starts naming these people like the prophetess Nodiah and all these other prophets, right, that we've never heard of, revealing that it's not just Sambalat, it's not just Shemaiah, it's all these other people who are trying to attack Nehemiah, the leader, right? And he's just pushing through, persevering through it all. You know, the love of self, that desire to place ourselves first uh, is, is always there in, in the believer's life, right? It's, it's really at the heart of you know, so many bad decisions, right? Will I put myself first or will I put God first, right? I've said before that what sin has done is it reversed the order of relationships where we're meant to love God and then love our neighbor and then love ourselves, right? That's the order. But what sin does, it flips it upside down and we love ourselves first and then we love our neighbor and then we love God last, right? That's what sin has done. And then in Christ and the spirit, it flips it back around that we will put God first, then put our neighbor and then we are last. And if we can do that, then we might be generous, right? When we're selfish, we're not generous. When we put God first, we make better choices, Right? A lot of times, bad choices is because we do what we want. Right? That's where sin comes in. You know, like it's like the chocolate cake. Eat the chocolate cake. Right? We're like, oh, I know it's bad for me, but I'm going to eat it. Right? When we put God first and our neighbors first, you know, we'll be able to love better. Right? Selfish people cannot love. Right? We'll resist temptation. We'll serve God better. Because if we put ourselves first, well, I'm tired. I want to rest. I'm busy. But if we put God and our neighbors first, we have reasons to serve and to give. And Nehemiah portrays this in this story, right? He doesn't, as a leader, put himself first. This is what Christ perfected. He, as the ultimate leader, did not put himself first. He died on the cross for us. And this is what all leaders and really all Christians are meant to pursue, right? Not self-centeredness, but to put God and others before us. A church full of selfish people will, will never accomplish anything significant for God. And never. Right? A church full of selfish people will never accomplish anything significant for God. In the end of this chapter, despite all the obstacles we've seen, right, we saw the conviction killers right, of delay. Um, it was dread and it was uh, discouragement. Uh, we saw last week how the people were attacked physically, verbally, and then there was an internal battle. And even today in chapter 6, the leader, Nehemiah, is being attacked. But they keep pushing forward. And so by verse 15 of this chapter, it says the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elud. In 52 days, right, despite all those obstacles, persevere, putting faith in God, they push forward in 52 days the wall is completed. And listen to the response of the people around Israel. And when all our enemies heard of it, right, that the wall was completed in 52 days, remember they said, you're never going to finish it? Right, 52 days. All the nations around us were afraid, right? not just the enemies, but all the nations were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Right? They realized, well, we're not so great. right? And, and that, that's the beginning of you know, coming to God. You realize you're not your own God. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Right, right. That's so, that's so great. That's so powerful. That's what we want. 
right? They, they see this and they say, wow, God's hand is in this because there's no way that this would have happened without God because we know the obstacles, right? We know how difficult it would have been. We know that these guys aren't builders, right? That guy's, that guy's a wine taster, right? But still, it was accomplished because God's hand was in it. You know, what, what we want at Kingsway, when we launch, and I said this, is that we would see something similar, that people would be able to step in to Kingsway and say, God's hand is in this, that there would be like a God-glorifying fear in their hearts and that they would recognize that this is a, a work of God. And my question to us all is, like, will people say that? On the 20th of December, when we open up and all the weeks after it, do you feel like people are going to step in and they're going to say, God's hand is here? I said on the Friday prayer meeting that all we want to see accomplished for God cannot happen without God. All we want to see accomplished for God cannot happen without God. You know, we can organize a Christmas event without God, and we can get logistics done without God, and we can you know, gather and meet and have fun without God, but what we want is much more than that, right? We, we are hungry for God's glory. What we want to see is people who would never step into church, be invited, and give it a try. But what we want to see is people saved, right? Their lives flipped upside down, hear the gospel, right, and respond and be transformed. Right? We want to see people find a home church, people who've, who've struggled to find a place to belong, to come here, to be able to commit and to grow. We want to see the gospel revive our generation and beyond, right? And we want to see those things. And to see those things happen, we need God, right? We need God's hand, right? Those are the things that when people come and see them, we'll say, wow, God's hand is in this. We want people to say God is present and God is moving, that this work has been accomplished with the help of God, right? And is that what's on your heart? Is that what you're striving for? You know, for those things to happen, right, for people to be saved, for people to step in and see God's hand, we need to be a praying church. A prayer is not optional at the brink of a church launch. Now, I'm just going to have a little bit of a rant here, um, but I'm going to be honest with you. We just had our second launch prayer meeting on Friday, and I was really encouraged uh, by the people who were there. Um, and at the same time, that's, if I'm honest with you, I, I was quite discouraged when I thought of just all the people who weren't. Um, and and it's, not attack, it's not an attack on you personally, because I don't know what your Fridays look like and, um, you know, you're busy, etc. But we, we as a whole, we as a church need to do better. And, and I, I want us all to be able to agree on that. We as Kingsway need to pray more. You know, if I put a, a number on how many people you'd want at a launch team prayer meeting five weeks away from launch, right? What's, what's the percentage of people you'd want? I would say 50% is like bare minimum, right? Half of us, 
scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like if 50% of people turned up, I think, you know, we'd still be like, oh, you know, that, that's, that's a little low. You know, I, I think 50% would be that. And what you'd really aim for from a launch team, right? Because we're not a church. We're a launch team. We're here to make this church happen. You'd aim for, I think, 80%, right? 90%, 100%. But I, I don't know. I don't think that's aiming too high. Right? But on Friday, we had less than 25% right, of our members there. Right? 25%. 14 people, right? That's including me and uni. And when we started, you know, Peter was like, you know, don't worry, we're going to start and people are going to come join in. And, um, you know, we're singing and stuff and you know, no one joined. Um, in fact, one person left because <laughs> they had legitimate reasons. Um, but, <laughs> but it's kind of sad. Um, you know, our, our events get more people than our prayer meetings right now, right? Our golf event, our, our BJJ event, like, like people swarm to that stuff. And I'm not saying they're bad things. Go to our events. But isn't prayer priority this close to launch we had less than 30 percent of our leaders there and as we saw today leaders especially need to pray you know i i really wrestled with this i i, I asked myself you know am i asking too much and on one hand i know everyone is a volunteer and i'm actually very thankful because I know you are sacrificing so much and anything more than nothing, I'm grateful for because you don't need to be here. You don't need to give. And so on one hand, I'm, I'm super thankful. But on the other hand, I look at Nehemiah chapter three and God's people building the wall who have the conviction to commit despite the cost, right? The cost of, you know, they're financially giving up, you know, money because they're not working. They're risking their lives. They commit because they believe it's for God. Right, right. I, I, I look at Nehemiah, who's praying over and over again throughout this book. Every time he's confronted by an obstacle, every time there's a momentous occasion, he's praying. Right? I look at Jesus. He prayed a lot, especially before big, significant moments. I look at the disciples in Acts chapter 1. When they're commissioned by our Lord Jesus, the first thing they do is not go, but they wait for God's timing and they pray. Because they knew it's better to wait for God than to start without him. And I don't want to start without God. But I, I don't know if we can confidently say we're starting with God right, when our prayer meetings kind of look like this. And numbers aren't everything. And maybe you were fasting and praying at home privately. Um, you know, I, I surrender that to God. But just, you know, as a whole, when I look at the first and second um, prayer gatherings and the numbers we're hitting, less than 50% each time, kind of dropping, um, surely not all of us are that busy. Um, it's on, on Zoom, right? You just need to log in and, you know, even keep your camera off. Um, yeah, I know that, that was on my heart. And we're five weeks away from launch. The, the, what I don't want, is for us to then drag our feet to the next prayer meeting. That's the last thing I want. That's the last thing I think God would want, you know, people forced to pray. You know, I think I just want us to, just each of us, uh, just go back and, and, and reflect and check our hearts, uh, see where our convictions lie, and maybe ask God to rekindle those convictions um, of why you're here, 
well, what are we here for, right? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, and, and maybe remember that what we're doing is more than meet up in a location, more than you know, have fun together, eat some good food. Uh, we're here to build a church for God's glory. Uh, we, we're here for God. This is why we're sacrificing and toiling. Uh, we're not here for me. We're not here for us. Um, we're here for us and God's glory and to see people saved. If in the process of all of this, and I know it was a bit heavy, um, but if in the process of this, like you're like, oh, this is asking too much. I don't think I'm, I, I'm in it for this kind of stuff. I was just here to, to, to kind of just hang out. Um, maybe let me know. I'm not going to boot you out or anything, but um, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can let me know. Um, we can have a chat. Um, you know, but this is what we, we're asking for our launch team. Um, there are a lot of established churches out there that are, are more comfortable um, because they're established. And that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's your season in life. Um, you know, New Life found their pastor. They're going to be quite settled now. Um, and, and, but this is kind of what it's like to be a part of a launch team. And so, you know, I just want us to reflect, pray, and really be committed as we finish up these last five weeks. All right, let me close. In summary, we saw um, in chapter four, in chapter two, in chapter six, uh, there's just constant opposition against God's people. Uh, there are the conviction killers, delay, dread, discouragement in chapter two. We saw in chapter four, the attack, the verbal attack, the physical attack, the internal battle. We saw today, subterfuge, slander, self-centeredness. God's people can always expect opposition when they're living out God's purposes. And I believe as we plan a church, the enemy would love to make this just, just a uh, love to stop us. And if you can't stop us, just, just make this a, a uneventful, just like a, just like a quiet launch that has no eternal impact. And maybe that's what we're facing right now, just, just opposition. Maybe that's what I'm facing as a leader, opposition. And what we need to do is we need to pray. We need to be desperate for God because we cannot do the things we want to see happen without Him. Right? The devil is like a lion, prowling, seeking someone to devour. And so whether directly or indirectly through people, he's trying to make this be nothing. And so we need to be grounded in God. And especially, especially because we're looking at leaders today, support your leaders. Whether it's your admin team leaders, your ministry leaders, your growth group leaders, the interim council, the pastors, me, or other spiritual leaders in your life, if the enemy could make your leaders doubt, um, be discouraged, um, you know, be distracted, uh, fall away, right? He'd love to do that. And so pray for your leaders, support them. Leadership is hard enough without the enemy making it even harder. And so let's support our leaders as well. All right, these are the two questions I want us, you know, in this great mood that I've left us all in um, to discuss. Um, when have you faced the enemy's subterfuge or deceit, slander or temptation to be self-centered? Maybe you can share. Maybe, you know, maybe if you faced stuff like that, uh, maybe you don't feel like it was the enemy. Maybe you felt like it was people. But, you know, behind every kind of evil thing is sin, right? And behind that is Satan's work. And so whether he's directly or indirectly involved, um, maybe you can chat about that. And 
By the end of chapter six, God's people persevere through all the obstacles and they complete the wall in a way that glorifies God. You know, how is your perseverance this close to launch, right? How is your conviction? How are you pushing through? And maybe you're not. Maybe you've like just, just given up. And, you know, maybe you can talk about that as well. All righty.